Hello, and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Hello, and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast. Today's guest is a former England, Wolves, and West Ham winger, Matt Jarvis. How are you, Matt? Are you well? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. How's things been? Because you've just joined uh, Walk and haven't you? And you haven't really been able to get going because of this COVID nineteen. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's it's not been great. Um, obviously, been out of it for a little bit. Just got myself back playing, uh, enjoying it. Scored on my debut, um, and then it just gets uh, sort of stopped. Yeah, pretty much. I suppose it's the same for everyone, isn't it? Does that make it a little bit easier when it's not just you like missing out on football and it's everyone? Does everyone feel in the same boat? Yeah, I think I think so. I think like for me, I, I'm sort of I don't know mentally, I, I'm I'm all right with it, but purely and simply because I've been doing most of the training on my own previously before signing at Woking, so I, I know what I was doing, I know what I was, you know, what I need to do to to keep myself going. But it is the same for everyone, and I think you can sort of um, other people are doing different bits, like at Woking, there's like a group, you know, doing certain things, you know, five k runs, ten k runs. Taking you all the way back to your childhood, I've always wondered about this, and I know there's probably an answer somewhere, but you're a Cleveland boy, so you're also from the Northeast, same as me. Um, who did you support growing up? I'm kind of curious. <laughs> I'll have to, uh, I'll have to go straight from that. So my my old man, he's Middlesbrough born and bred, but I was two weeks old when I moved to Guildford, so I've never sort of really classed myself as a as a northern man. Yeah. <laughs> I was Guildford. Uh, Grew up in Guildford, um, so I've always sort of been a Surrey boy. Uh, but you are quite right because my dad will always say you were born in Middlesbrough. You know, so uh, so yeah. So I, as being a Middlesbrough lad, I uh, I grew up in Guildford and I supported Man United as every other Surrey boy did. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say Middlesbrough, but you disappointed me. It's fine. It's fine. So. I suppose going back to your childhood, you've kind of answered that question anyway, I suppose, um, in the sense that, you know, I was going to ask why you went to Gillingham, but that kind of makes sense to me now. But before we sort of move on to your time and moving into Gillingham, was there any players that you looked to emulate? Always. Um, Giggs was always the person that I wanted to to watch, to, you know, to try and take tips from. I remember back in the day, you know, it used to be VHS. I used to get videos of him. You know, he had, uh, he had all different sorts of school type exercises and skills and different dvd uh, videos that he did and that's what i used to you know buy and and he was always the player that i looked up to and it you know it wasn't i think i don't think it was because that's where i i played but it was just the way he played i i just i i loved watching him you know just jinking in and out of the ball and the way he used to just dribble past people um but as grow then growing up you know i i did sort of become left wing uh, and then you sort of try and you know use what he did to to improve my game, and I was extremely fortunate enough to then play against him quite a few times. So it was uh, so it was pretty special. I think I read somewhere that you were you were pretty good at all sports. You're one of those frustrating people that's Annoying good at everything. Yeah. But then I also <laughs> read that you got ten GCSEs. If you weren't a footballer, what would you have been then? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I everything. And me and my sort of family was was based around sport, so I would have definitely been some sort of sport something. Um, I would have tried. I'm very competitive, so I, I would have 
I would have done something. As you said, I did I did football, I did swimming, I did athletics, I did cross country. So I would have had to have done something because that's just just the the competitive streak that goes in me. Because you came from a family of, of sportsmen, didn't you? If I'm right in saying that, I think is that correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. My mum and dad were both um, England number one table tennis players, and my mum won the US doubles uh, with Desmond Douglas. So it's yeah. So they they were they were pretty handy as well, but um, they never really pushed me into table tennis. But they were you know fully backed me and you know did everything that they could possibly do to to help me out with all my different sports. So I suppose going on to your first club then, so you went from the northeast when you were two and a half, you obviously moved to Guildford. This makes a lot of sense. Two and a half weeks, perhaps, you're old. Yeah, two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. That's what I mean. That's what I say uh, when my dad says you were born there, but I was two weeks old when I moved to Guildford. So what can I say? How did the move to Gillingham come about? Because I suppose Gillingham at the moment is starting to come back up, but it was kind of a golden era for Gillingham and you started pretty much as soon as you got there, didn't you? Yeah, well, funny enough, I was actually, I got released by Millwall. I was there for about eight years, Millwall, um, as, a, as a kid. Um, then got released, uh, didn't get offered a, a youth team contract. And then I went to Gillingham. One of the scouts, Bernie Dillon, picked me up and <clears> was like, you know, you come straight in. And I went on trial there. I was horrendous. Um, <laughs> I really was. Uh, confidence had just been shot to pieces. Um, and then um, uh, luckily enough, they took a chance on me. And then it just sort of something just changed in me. Uh, I did the first year as a YTS um I've, I've actually played up front I think and scored loads of goals um and then the start of pre-season in my second year I went with the first team and then um it just sort of went from there I, I scored in pre-season I got my opportunity to play uh on the left of midfield and didn't look back uh, so when I was 17 I was playing in the first team in the championship for Gillingham which was amazing and that would have been the years of like Nyron Nosworthy wouldn't it one of my all-time heroes like I was saying before it really was Gillingham's golden era if we're completely honest. I mean, looking back, obviously they're in the League One at the moment, but I think the Championship that was a really good side then. And a lot of players went on to play Premiership football, at least a decent few. Um, what, When you reflect on your time at Gillingham, why do you think it worked so well? Uh, it was just it was just perfect for me. I think um, the way I got in the team was they, they played with a sort of a narrow three and then they had Paul Shaw, who sort of played on the left but then floated in behind the the, the strikers. So they always had the sort of tight three midfielders. They had Andy Hessenthaler, they had Paul Smith, uh, Mark Saunders, and the, you know different uh, Alan Powell, like different players that would play in that position. And then when Shaw was injured or wasn't, yeah, when he was in, I sort of got the opportunity to play. So then they sort of then played with a wide player, and then the three in midfield. So I just got that opportunity, and I just absolutely loved it. And for me at the time, it was just a perfect learning curve. Uh, Andy Hessenthaler was fantastic as a manager um, and really gave me the op- uh, confidence and opportunity to, to go for it. And I think at the time, there was quite a few other players that were, um, we had an experienced squad, but we had a few other youngsters that were coming through as well, like Danny Spiller, Andy Crofts, Leon Johnson, these sort of players that were were in the uh, in the team as well, which obviously helps any other youngster to, to get in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think by the time sort of you ended your time in Gillingham, you'd gotten into the, the League One team of the year. I think the season before that you'd left, uh, you built up a really good reputation, I think, which coincided with the move that you had to Wolves. Obviously, it was undisclosed at the time, I think. Um, but you signed for, for Mick McCarthy, who is, well, it's Mick McCarthy, isn't it? Um, 
Wolves are a huge club, so I completely understand the pull of going to Wolves. And I know obviously there was a championship and he won League One at the time. But how much of a pull was Mick McCarthy? He was the the biggest pull. Um, I have to say he's probably the, probably the best manager I've worked for. Um, I went and met him uh, in Portugal, actually, uh, in the summer. Um, just went and met him, had a good conversation with him. And, you know, as soon as you speak to him, he's he's, he's just what, what a guy. You know, you... I think it depends if you're a player or if you're a press, you know, you get two different yeah. sort of, uh, views of him, but he, he was just so good. So honest. I think that's the biggest compliment I can give him. He was so honest with you. Um, and then straight after that uh, conversation I had with him, it was, that was it. I wanted to sign there. I then went, come back from there, went straight up to, to Molyneux to have a little look around and, and pretty much signed straight away. It was, um, he, he was a huge influence in my career. What's your funniest memories of him? Because I know he's a good manager and I've heard about his honesty, his levels of honesty are sometimes brutal. But um, there's always a good story with Mick McCarthy. So what's your funniest memory of Mick? Funniest? I don't know. I still think uh, you see the clips uh, when he's sort of standing next to the dugout on the chair and in the camera pads. <laughs> you've, got, you've got that one. You've got the one where there's the lightning bolt or whatever. Out of nowhere, yeah. yeah. But I think you got... When George Ellicobi, I think, uh, I think it was George and Mark Glittle, uh, there was a few when we got promoted, uh, he was doing an interview and they chucked loads of stuff with champagne and water all over him. I think he he had that funny side that obviously all us players and everyone staff knew about, but I think that sort of then just sort of come across him uh, when he had the cameras. But he's just brilliant to interview. I think there's... You, you don't quite know what you're going to get, but he's brilliant. I, I, I think he's... For, for value, he, he's fantastic. Oh, he's superb. Whenever you watch those little like Twitter videos when it's like a minute worth of Mick McCarthy, it's like if it's Roy Keane and Mick McCarthy, you just you take it. It's just coincidence that they both hate each other, or at least do anyway. <laughs> I think one thing that's good with Mick McCarthy, and you can probably testify to this, is how good is he at not just building a team with a shoestring, getting that team that is bought on a shoestring to be like a one, like a unit? He, exactly that. I think the biggest thing with him as well is he's on the training pitch every single day. He's got a fantastic team around him. I think that's what he does so well. Um, for instance, with us at Wolves, you know, he he brought in um, so many players for peanuts. They were all uh, we were all striving to get the success. You know, we hadn't been in the Premier League. We'd all wanted to improve. We all wanted to basically we wanted to show everyone what we could do because we hadn't done it. So we were all striving for success. He knew that he obviously brought a fantastic group of players together, team spirit wise. Uh, and he had the likes of Terry Connor right at the beginning. He had Ian Evans as well. That you know, these these people that literally got you on the training pitch and improved you as players. I think that's the biggest compliment you can say for Mick as well. Is he actually improved players? You know, he brought, he got them in as sort of not maybe raw, but you know, not the finished article for sure. And he improved them, and that's what he did with us. And Terry Connor and his staff have a massive, massive hand in that as well. And that's. That's the biggest thing. He, like I said, he's on the training pitch every day with you. And it's so your tempo and your desire and your commitment to training can't slacken off because he's on you every single day. When he signs players, he, like you said before, he signs almost like rough diamonds. Uh, he did that at Sunland, he's did that at Wolves. But he seems to sign players with an attitude as well, doesn't he? He wants people that are hungry. Yeah, I think, yeah, he's always done that. And because you you look at every single one, like they all want to work for him as well. They all have that commitment for the team and for him. So it's it's one of his you know, really good traits. So 
first season at Wolves, I think he got an injury as soon as you sort of came and kept you out of the opening couple of months. Um, there's been a few players that have had injuries at like that before, but how much does missing out on like a pre-season or the start of the season affect a player? Because I don't think, unless you're professional, you can really sort of pin that down how much it can affect someone. Yeah, I think, uh, again, Mick had a massive influence on me in that because I come in, I worked so hard in pre-season and I was like super fit and then, yeah, I, I then sort of got injured and and I remember Mick speaking to me and being like, just don't worry, just relax, it's fine. I know you're frustrated and you want to show up on what you can do. But he said, when he said when he was first signed at Celtic, he was injured. He got injured as soon as he went there and he was injured for the first like four, four months or something. So he said, so I know what you're feeling. There's no, he was like, there's no pressure on from me to, you know, rush yourself back. You just got to get yourself back fit and, um, you know, and make sure that you're right when you come back. And, and that was, that was, it was massive for me because, you know, when you're signed, I didn't know really any of the players. I'd gone there, moved away from my family and you get injured as soon as you get there. And you're like, this is just, you know, you, you just want to show everyone what you can do. Um, but as I said, I got myself fit and then, you know, it, it got better and better and better. When it comes to, to Wolves, and I don't mean any disrespect to Gillingham at all, because I've got a few friends who are Gillingham fans, so I'll have to tread carefully here. Uh, but when it comes to going from League One and, and Gillingham, who I think some, you know, sometimes openly admit they're, they are not a small club, a smaller club than someone like Wolves, can you feel the difference when you make that jump towards Wolves in terms of expectation? Uh, yes, you can. I think yeah, when I first was at Gillingham, obviously, what we were in the Championship, it was yeah. you know, we were striving... Uh, to, to sort of stay in there. And then I had two years in League One, which, you know, we, we really should have been maybe getting bad, better um, results and getting back into the Championship. But when I went to Wolves, it wasn't you're hoping to stay in the league. We were, you know, you were getting there and the ambition was to get into the Premier League and you could feel that as soon as you signed. Um, when I signed the season before, they'd missed out on the, um, on get right, they lost in the playoffs. So, you knew that it was uh, it was going to be a, a big club. Well, it was a big club, but you know that you knew that it was going to be something that they were trying to improve. And Steve Morgan had literally just taken over as the chairman, and I was his first signing. So it was you know the, the club was only going to get better, and it was it was just really nice to to go into it with that you know looking at the future, thinking wow this this could really take off. Talking about expectations at Wolves, I think the first season you finished seventh, which is not actually a bad position to finish. But the season later, obviously, we know how things went. But before you went into what was eventually the championship winning or title winning season, how did you assess that season and how did you make sure you came back to win the league next season? Yeah, I think it was a massive learning curve. Uh, I think for a lot of the players, it was, if you look, if we, if we look back now, it was a, it was a really good thing for us to to see the big disappointment at the end of the season after working so hard to then finish seventh. Um, but I think mentally we were then ready the following season. I think it was good for us to bed in as a as a team, as a group of lads, to get one season all together and everyone sort of realizing right, this is how we're supposed to be working as a team. This is the way we're going to be playing. This is you know this is the, our group of players. And then we added a few more as well, um, and we were we were fully ready for the following season, which. You know, you speak to a lot of players in that team that pre-season, you know, you could you could just tell that the 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 team, the squad, the togetherness was was ready for that season. How much did you enjoy the championship winning season at Wolves? You you enjoying football comes with being successful. You you obviously you can enjoy it when you're 
you know any any game but if you're losing games it's not as enjoyable so to yeah. to win games and win how he did and then at the end of the season to be, to be champions and to get promoted you know being champions is just I don't think there's a, been a season that I've enjoyed as much as that season uh, purely and simply because you know you you win the league and you win a trophy and you you get promoted and there's that massive excitement you see all the fans on the pitch you come out holding the trophy it was just enjoyment wise I don't think you can get any better is there anyone better to get out of the championship than someone like Mick McCarthy because his track record is just dynamite isn't it it is it is I I can only go from experience with him but he's incredible at doing it um there's probably a few others that you know I think Neil Warnock's done it a fair few times he's pretty impressive um but I can I can only speak for for Mick. He's he's just brilliant. I mean, Sam Allardyce has done it with West Ham, but he's more of a a Premier League um, survival manager, I suppose, is what you would say. But he um, Mick was yeah was great at doing that. I think in terms of your own career um, as well as Wolves, really, it really sort of skyrocketed when you made the step up to the Premier League. Um, I think you made the step up. Absolutely fine. A lot of Wolves players did, but why do you think you personally made the step up so well and made that transition so easily? I, I think for me, like like I, I said before, I think it was good that I had the full season, well, the season before to sort of find my feet a little bit at Wolves because obviously I, I just signed there, I'd moved away from home. I think that bedding down year was was really good for me. Um so I think the following year to then play, uh, you know, pretty much a full season, and and obviously we we were flying. I think confidence wise and ability wise for me, I think I'd proved and shown everyone what I could do. So then the following year, I think I just I just flourished is and in in the way that I was so competitive and I wanted to play against all of the top players and test myself, and I just thrived off that. Um, and I don't think you've got any expectations, really. You you know it's going to be difficult, so you just go out there. You've got no you've got no fear. I think once you sort of played a few years and everyone sort of knows how you play, and then it's a little bit more difficult. But that that first initial season, you know, you you are you've got a sort of a free hit, as it were, to go for it. I remember. Obviously, he's coming up that year, and I think we we played against Wolves. I think we lost against Wolves, actually. A lot of the worry I used to have is if you got on the ball and Stephen Fletcher's in the box, um, obviously Fletch ended up coming to ourselves, but how good was it for you having a typical old-school centre-forward who was just, at that time, I think probably in the best form of his career? How good was Stephen Fletcher for, for your own game? Well, I remember, it's just it's just sort of funny, it brings a smile to my face because I remember it was the end of the season, we had the awards night and um, and then he won the Golden Boot. And all of the goals were sort of shown on the screen. And I just remember looking at him and it was like, oh, yeah, that, that was my God. Oh, yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was looking over and going like, yeah. <laughs> and it was just, that's the way it was. You know, you just, you just learned that, you know, if I got the ball, we worked on it so much in training. Um, you know, as I said before, me, TC used to take me out, Terry Cross used to take me out, and he used to work at it. So if I was knocking the ball right down to the line and it was like a foot race, he knew that the ball was going to be dinked to the far post. So his positioning was already there, ready to go. And he he was unbelievable in the air. And his heading ability was fantastic. I think he was underrated. Uh, no one sort of really took notice of him until he was banging in all of these goals in the air. Um, and then it was one of them, if I was cutting back, you know, they all knew that the right foot was then coming in. They knew where to go. So 
he knew just where the ball was going to go in the box and, and he had the ability to just get on the end of it. I think you're absolutely right in saying that Fletcher was underrated. Do you think that he ever really got the the praise he deserved for his his performances at Burnley, probably the start of his career at Sunderland and at Wolves? I think maybe the just... Uh, I don't think he did, no, if I, I suppose I'll be honest. I think... I think he was an outstanding, like, he was fantastic. I think partnership-wise for me, he just he just did everything really well. He was, he was such a good finisher and he was so good in the air. It was timing with him. Um, I think just maybe, like, for instance, the way, the way he went to Sunderland might have just put a dampener on that yeah. with all the Wolves fans. Um, and then obviously getting injured uh, is, is never good for anyone. But when you're in such a good scoring frame, it just sort of fizzles out, doesn't it? But... Um, I don't think he's had uh, enough praise for for his goal scoring uh, ability, especially for you know at Burnley and at Wolves um, in teams that you know weren't going to be scoring loads of goals in the Premier League. So, he, you know, he scored bundles. <clears throat> it's funny you mentioned the uh, when he when he moved to Sunderland. Was that the heads gone tweet? Was that when he like yeah. hashtag that? It, yeah. Did Did you know about that? Did you know anything about that, or did you just kind of about, see it on Twitter? Uh, what about the tweet? Because because I think he did he did he tweet something like just wanted to let all the fans know uh, I've handed in the transfer request hashtag heads gone or something like that. Did uh, did you know I, about that? Or I don't I don't know I don't really remember um, seeing that. But at the same time, you know, we, that was a difficult period. I think you come back in pre season after doing so well in the Premier League. Um, knowing that you you want to to play at the top level, I was in the same boat. I think there was a yeah. few other players. Uh, just just didn't sort of um, like handle the situation as as well as he probably hopes. But at the same point, he yeah you know, he want he yeah you know, everyone knew he he wanted and and rightly so. Want you know we'd done so well this, this previous seasons to to earn to try and get back into the Premier League. So. Just, I think the, the the way it went and it happened, um, I think put a dampener on 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 everything for the Wolves fans. Yeah, of course, and I can understand that absolutely. Um, going back a little bit, obviously your form was was so good at Wolves. You got called up to the England squad by I think it was Fabio Capello at the time. Um, how do, how do you find out you make the squad? You get a text say you've been you know you you're in the uh, you're in the England squad, uh, and then you're looking around like this is this real is this someone winding me up and then you get a call uh to say no it's not it's not it's not wind up um and that that's how it is i mean i can tell you the, the sort of the story about it it was i remember it was um we played uh aston villa in the early kickoff uh, away at villa park and uh, we won one nil when i scored I scored the volley uh and then i remember i got back because i we went i went back home afterwards for the weekend because I think we had the early kickoff. I think it was a 12 o'clock kickoff. Uh, so I went home and then I come back up on the Sunday night. Um, I just got in my kitchen with my wife uh, and I got a text and I was like, got the thing. I'm looking around like, like whether this is real or not. And then obviously got the call. So we were like absolutely buzzing. Uh, then started trying to call my mum and dad. She would call them. I, I just, I called my brother. I got hold of it. I just <laughs> could not, I could not get hold of my mum and dad. Um, both their mobiles, both the house phone, like and the house phone, just couldn't get hold of them. So I just took a took a chance, and I knew that they liked uh, this Indian restaurant just up the road from them. 
So I actually just called the, the the restaurant and asked if they were there, and they were. So then they just passed me over to the phone. So I t- so I told them the uh, news when they were they were sitting having dinner. So uh, yeah, it was good. It was uh, a very very a surreal and amazing experience. Who is it that makes the call? Is it Fabio that rings you, or do you get like a, is it a secretary? Yeah, that's disappointing. Yeah. I, I well, yeah, that's that's just the way it is. Uh, well, it's not disappointing because it's great. But it would be fantastic if it was Fabio. But then you'd, you'd maybe think yeah, it's a you wonder. Think you'd, be him, you'd, be yeah. Yeah. you'd be like, hang on a minute. Yeah, exactly. Didn't speak did, he, did he speak fluent English? Not not fluent, I'd say. No, he knew bits. Yeah, he knew like a fair bit. But I wouldn't say you'd have like a, a full-blown telephone conversation with him. Yeah. But how good was those two weeks with him? Did you quite enjoy training with him? Could you understand why he'd achieved as much as he had? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it and I think what a amazing, you know, to, to to get called up for England one, absolutely incredible. But for a, for a manager with his his record and what he's achieved, um, and for him to to warrant me getting called up, especially you know, not being the the top club, I was at you know we were I was at Wolves when we weren't you know we weren't we were below um, mid table, um, and <clears throat> looking at the the wide players that they had that were there in front of me um, or were there where you had Stuart Down who was flying, Ashley Young who was flying, you had Milner, you had Walcott, Aaron Lennon, you know, all these players that were, you know, playing at top clubs and playing week in, week out and and I was able to to get in amongst it as well which which was huge. I think you made your debut against Ghana at Wembley. Actually, a really good game, if I remember correctly, because Asamoah scored in, in the 90th minute, um, which was a bit of a weird one as a Sunderland fan at the time, because we loved him then. Um, but is there any nerves when you're coming at Wembley? Or do you kind of just feel like, you know what, this is just nothing to fear here. Let's just go for it. Uh, yeah, I'd say a bit of both. I remember just warming up and like just running up and down the line, trying looking back at every opportunity to see if I was going to get the shout to come back. And like, I remember I turned around and like, I got the wave and like, that's when everything just started my chest, like everything you get the butterflies, you I really felt like that, wow, this, uh, this moment, um, I ran back and then sort of getting told what to do, uh, put my shirt on. And I just remember standing at the side of the pitch and then Wiltshire come off. And I just remember, like thinking to myself, right, don't look nervous, you know, because obviously the pat, the camera was going to be panned on my face. I was just thinking, don't look nervous, don't look nervous. <laughs> and then I remember, yeah, try and get that like, face. Like, and then I, I belong running, here. Yeah, just running onto the pitch and just thinking, I've done it. Like no one can take this away from me now. I, I, I've played for my country. This is like a full, full dream come true for me. Uh, and then you just after that, when you're on the pitch, honestly, I, it sounds silly, but you're you're back to where you know. Um, yeah. and you try and get on with it. I, it was good that I got a, f- a good few touches in early, which settled me a little bit. And then I was able to then get on the ball. I came on on the right and um, had a few runs, got a few corners, got a few crosses in. So I, I really enjoyed the game. And then, as you said, as my child scored. Uh, but funny enough, the kit man was a Wolves fan and he, he actually got Asamoah's shirt for me. I didn't know he got it for me. So I got his shirt and my shirt signed by all the lads and in a frame. So it was quite a little nice memento for the game. I think what I'm trying to think of the best way to word this, but in a sense, you, 
I think Wolves were relegated not long afterwards, unfortunately. I mean, you've had a really good season yourself. Mick McCarthy had been sat come season end. You put a transfer request in to go West Ham, allegedly. Obviously, I wasn't there. Um, but is it nerve-wracking to put in a transfer request at a club that where you've had so much success? Do you ever worry that it's going to like ruin your legacy? Yeah, I think, for me, I, I remember Mick got, Mick got the sack. I think there was 13 games left. And I scored seven or eight goals in them 13 games. Even though yeah. we, we as a team, didn't get the right results, we played well and I, and I I sort of carried on where I, I sort of left off. I, I don't feel like I'd, anything changed in, in me, whether it was, you know, playing better or worse. I sort of just carried on and, and I, I finished the season really, really strong personally. So I obviously, I'd been at Wolves. I absolutely loved my time. I think it's the most enjoyable time I've had playing was at Wolves uh, and I love the fans and they were absolutely incredible to me um, and they still are now because um, I, I go back there uh, to watch games I've done a few uh, punditry things there as well and they're fantastic and they always will be um, so it was extremely difficult knowing that I, you know at some point I was going to have to leave um, and for me personally I wanted to play I just you know just got in the England squad uh, I was I was on the um, prelim, uh, preliminary shortlist for the uh, the Euros, uh, so I you know I needed if I wanted to try and get back in the squad or anything I, I felt like I'd sort of I think I earned the right to to get back and play in the Premier League. So it was very difficult. It was horrible sort of myself. I'm not that type of uh, person, but it, it it just sort of happened. But I, you know, I went in and spoke to the manager who was Saul Backen at the time. who would just come in um, and I spoke to Jez Moxie quite a few times and it just got to, it was right at the end of the transfer window. Um, I'd obviously, I played in all of the games that, so I, I you know, I continued to, to train properly. I continued to play properly. I did everything that I possibly could. And the time was, was right, right at the end of the transfer window. They got, a, you know, a good, good fee, which Jez was extremely pleased with. And um, we're happy to, well, obviously not happy, but what, what, let me um, go to West Ham. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, it's a different situation maybe to Fletch in the sense that you had just gotten to that England team. It was the championship. And if I remember rightly, the, the squads under Capello, you, if you weren't in like the top five clubs, it was a struggle, let alone if you were in the championship. So it does make sense. But on a... On to West Ham, obviously absolutely huge club, but um, even more huge personality, Big Sam Allardyce. Um, I, I, I love Big Sam. I think as a character, he's, he's fantastic. Um, but at West Ham, it was a difficult mix at times. I always felt like Allardyce sometimes is classed as like a long ball direct manager when he's he's so much more than that. And, you know, my club, he's, he's very much loved. But how much did you enjoy playing for Big Sam? Yeah, I think initially when I, when I went there, I remember... I just didn't realise how big he was. He's huge, isn't it? Huge. Yeah. yeah. I remember the first time I saw him, I went in and he, he was just doing a meeting. So he sort of come out to see me as I'd just signed. So he come out and I remember he come out the door, like had to duck out the door and he'd come out and he was like, he's huge. So, uh, but just, I think the biggest sort of thing with Sam is he's, I would, I would sort of, you would class him as an old school manager, but he's so new school on everything else. Like he's, the statistics, the um, you know set pieces, everything he was just incredible at, uh, and that's 
I know, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, they don't give him enough credit for that side of the, the game. He was forward thinking in everything. You know, he had all of the fitness guys. We had the GPS, we had everything. He doesn't get the, he doesn't get the, uh, the credit he deserves, uh, I think, on that side of the game. He, he brought it in really early. Um, and and if you look at when, when, I, when I first went there, he, he broke up the season into eight games because it, it, the way he worked it out, he was like, our, our thing for first season back in the Premier League, we wanted to finish 10th. So he worked out that, you know, you needed this many wins in this many points. You needed this many uh, goals. You needed to concede this many. You needed to score this many from set pieces. You need to score, you know, he, he broke it down so unbelievably um, specific that you then had your eight games and say, oh, in our first eight games, I think we were supposed to like, our target was about like eight points or something because uh, we had a quite a difficult start and we got 14 and then you you then look the next eight games you were supposed to get 12 um and then you're like uh if you then drop a few points and you get like 10 you're sort of e-cluing out so it, it you know, yeah it's more for, like if you're on a if you're on a bad run for instance and you'd lost three in a row they might have been split or four in a row you you'd split over the two so you'd you'd sort of wipe you'd have a review after the eight games and you go right what did we do well what didn't we do well what did we need to improve blah 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 right move that across now we've got these eight games so say you'd lost the three and you don't lost the one in that game you'd only lost the one because you're mentally you were fresh for them eight games i think that's he was he was very very good at that you also played with kevin nolan and andy carroll um at one point, believe it or not, uh, at Newcastle, they were ordered to live together by a judge. Both massive characters. What were those two like in the dressing room? Amazing. <laughs> uh, amazing. Uh, Kev Nolan, um, what, a, what a guy to start with uh, and what a, what a player. He was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but as a captain, he, he was brilliant. He was a leader. He was a, he was a player's captain. Um, any problems that anyone had, you could go to him and he would fight your corner. Uh, if, if it was nothing to do with him, he would still fight his corner. He would go to Sam, uh, speak to him about anything, um, try and sort everything out for the lads. Um, and he, he, was, he was a really, really good good captain to start with. And, and as I've already said, he was, he was a, a fantastic player. Uh, really, really, just the, the way he sort of got himself into the box um, always arrived at the right time, was always in the right place at the right time and and scored some very, very uh, important goals. And his influence, I suppose, with uh, at the start with Andy um, was was huge because Andy, I mean, he's a huge character, um, a really good guy. Uh, I think because people don't know him as well, I think you, you get a, you don't quite, I don't quite know what people think about him, but he's what a guy. Um really really nice guy um and when we first went there it was like a dream partnership you know i think in the last season at wolves and my first season at west ham i'd put in the most crosses and uh the most um was it most uh successful crosses in europe and andy had had uh, uh got on the end or, or headed the most in in the league so yeah. it was like a win-win partnership uh so and he was like a battering ram if you he was always just saying get it just hang it up and so he can come and absolutely annihilate everyone in his path and and he did and he he just attacked he would he would attack it like you you think oh there's no point going for that one and he'll come flying in and 
and get on the end of it. He was he was so good at it. Um, and he was really good with his feet, which no one really gave him the credit for. So two huge characters. And um, and as I'm sure you probably, that, that squad at the time, we were very much together. We used to have a few team team bondings and uh, they, them two were, were, were a good part of it. Andy Carroll was like a, I think in a sense, of all the strikers that I've seen, we'll talk about Fletch before, but he, he's a beast, isn't he? There's no way to kind of describe it. I used to, when he played for Newcastle and, and the some of the Newcastle derbies, I used to hate playing against him because he was just an animal. Um, That's what I say, he's, he's a bulldozer. He's battering yeah. it just If the ball's there and it's hung up, he's going to go and win it and he will win it. That's that's the that's the thing. And he can, can create so much power in his heading ability. It's just incredible. Is he as big as he looks or yeah. bigger? Bigger, I'd say. Bigger. Because yeah, he's, he's not um he's not like huge as in like um you know like uh like you know I don't know what you say he's not he's not, not wide skinny, but yeah he's not yeah. wide but he's he's just huge like his his hands are huge like he's you know he's he's just such a big guy uh, and he uses his frame incredibly well so it's it's just. Uh, yeah, he he would be horrible to play against. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't fancy it at all, if I'm honest with you. Um, when you were at West Ham, I think we spoke before about how much Allardyce as well liked at other clubs, Bolton, Sunderland, Blackburn. Um, at West Ham, it was it was a bit, um, I think the word is, is tumulus or tumulus. I could be wrong here. I don't know my English that well. Um, but I think one thing that sticks out for me was when, I'm sure it was Hull. You beat Hull, I think, 1-0 at home. Yeah, it, it is difficult, but I think the... <sighs> As as players, when you once you're on the pitch, I think it just takes over your you know your natural ability and the, the way that you you've played for years. You just step on the pitch and and you just play. And um, obviously, you follow the guidelines that the manager sets out. So you, you know the set pieces, the way you play, that's all done by the manager, and that's what you sort of carry out. Um, don't get me wrong; you can hear the crowd, you can understand their frustrations, but as players, you just get on with it and you, you have to you go with what the manager wants. And and at the time, you know, I think we won the game um, and they we're doing well in the league. But you can understand the, the West Ham fans, they they wanted a style of play and that's that sort of didn't really um, happen with with Sam. Um, although the results were, were there and um, you can't really, you, well, you can't argue with his um, results because uh, they were, were were fantastic, and I think they they're sort of the best that they ever been really. Yeah, at West Ham. Um, so in recent years, so it's just it's difficult. You know, you know, you can understand that the fans want to see you can go and watch uh, good football, but you don't want to be watching it in the Championship. So it's 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 difficult. Um, but you can understand it both frustrations. Yeah, no, absolutely, 100%. I think when talking about fans and stuff like that, uh, one question I did want to ask, and it's probably quite long-winded, and maybe the answer could be quite long-winded, but I think you're someone who has played most, like, almost exclusively during the kind of social media era of football. So how difficult can things like online abuse, and you know what it can be like sometimes, to deal with as a player? Do you just have to switch off from it? How how do you personally deal with it? Uh, yeah hard um i think to start with i wasn't on uh i'm not on facebook I, I wasn't on instagram and i wasn't on twitter so i was quite sort of private well i am very private um yeah 
but I think you know you have to sort of maybe roll with the times a little bit. So I sort of I started. I got Twitter. I still don't have Facebook. Uh, I have Instagram now, but I I had I started up Twitter. Uh, so sort of did little few posts, did a, things like that. But I wasn't a massive user of, of Twitter at the time. Um, and you know, if you have a good game, everyone's tweeting you. You send out a tweet, what a great result, blah blah blah. Uh, when it doesn't go well, um, if you send out a message or if you don't send out a mas- message, you're you're going to get hammered. Uh, and that's what it was like. Um, and for me. I was very much like if 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 we didn't get a good result or it didn't sort of go so well, it sort of not ruined my well, it did ruin my weekend because if I had something planned that was going out, I, I sort of didn't really want to be seen out because it would only come back back negatively on me. If someone would send a picture or do something, and and so there's numerous opportunity times that I I just cancelled what I was doing. I didn't want to go out uh, and. You know, looking back, I really shouldn't because yeah, it's, it you know it sort of interrupted my sort of private life. Um, being able to go out and enjoy you know a nice meal or something with my wife or with some friends, you know, I, I sort of didn't do that and I just went home. Um, and that that's not that's not very good. That's not what you should be uh, able to do. Um, but you live and you learn, and that's what. Uh, that's what Twitter and Instagram and everything is. You've got to take everything with a pinch of salt. You know, football is, is you're either like that or you're like that. You've got to try and mentally, you've got to try and keep it a steady, steady place and, and not get too high, not get too low and, and try not to get affected. But, but it is difficult when, you know, when things are going well, it's, it's, it's fantastic, you know, because everyone's, you know, sending you nice tweets and saying, well done and how good you are. And then when it's not going so well, you don't really want to look at it because you can be getting abused. But that's the way uh, the football industry and, and social media at the moment. Yeah, it's a way of the world at the moment, unfortunately, isn't it? For for many of us, I think we all have to deal with it in some ways. But to the level that footballers get it, no, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd fancy that, um, if I'm honest. But a couple of sort of questions left, I suppose, because um, we have got the move to Norwich that came along. It would be fair to say it didn't go the way that you would have hoped. Um, but I think you really enjoyed your time at Norwich regardless. But uh, reflecting on your time at Carroll Road, how did you find your time at Norwich, sort of the good and the bad? Oh, I'll start with, you know, right at the beginning. I think when I first went there, I, I have to say it's probably the fittest um, I've ever been um, in shape-wise, you know, physically-wise. I think it's the, it's the best I've ever been. Um, and I started like a house on fire, scored on my debut, uh, scored in my second game. We were flying, um, and then everything sort of just came crashing down for me when we played Man City away, and I went in for a block tackle with Yaya Torre, and uh, I, I tore my uh, my MCL, and um, yeah, sorry, I tore my medial, and then um, it, it just sort of went downhill for me there. I I got myself back fit, played the rest of the season, but it was never right. I, it was sore all the time, and I was saying to everyone, it's still sore, still sore come to pre-season it was still sore couldn't kick the ball on my right foot so had an operation they opened me up and they were like oh yeah it's not attached properly so I played the full season with my medial not attached properly so I had the surgery got myself back fit uh, in the right time got myself back fit got in my first training session cut cut inside had a shot got smashed my ankle done my ankle uh, carried on because I didn't want to you know not play because I'd just been out for so long uh had injections just during the year, they all said, and scans, and they said, no, it's just fluid. 
I then didn't get any better. So had surgery. I was only supposed to have like a little keyhole, just have a little look to see what was going on. Uh, as soon as they touched the cartilage, it all fell off. So I had to have a microfracture of my ankle, which was supposed to be about four months, turned into eight. Got myself back from that. Picked up IT band friction syndrome because of, I'd had all of the surgery on my right-hand side. My sort of movement patterns had changed because uh, my muscle, I had to build up all my muscles. So I had to have a quick cleanup of that. And then eventually got myself back fit. Um, and it was an absolute nightmare. It's the, been the worst sort of time in my whole life. Um, really difficult. Uh, I was sort of living away from home because um, I just like in my in my first year I had uh, had my son, uh, and you know being up there on our own, it was we just felt that it was easier um, for my wife to be back down here with friends and family. So I was up there most of the time. And when you're injured, you're in more. So I was up there like at least six days of the week, uh, you know, on my own with your own thoughts and just in the training round and, you know, working hard. So I, I, I can't look back and say that I didn't give it my all because I really did. I worked so hard to, to get myself back fit and to, to play for Norwich. Um, and I would have absolutely loved it, to, especially with Daniel Farker and the way that he played. I think it would have been a fantastic for, for me. But uh, when it was coming to the the end, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be uh, my contract wasn't going to be extended. So I needed to go out and, and and play some games and and get myself back to playing football. And um, so it it, it ended uh, my my spell at Norwich, which uh, I was absolutely gutted about. And you know the fans were were you know ninety nine percent of the fans were were brilliant with me. Um, and I I just wish that I could have uh, could have played more games to them, but. It wasn't for the the worth of trying. I used to live with a Norwich fan. They're a really good set of fans, aren't they? They are. Yeah, they really are. Um, I mean, it's you know the the you know it's the only sort of club around uh, Norfolk. You've got Ipswich, but that's like forty miles away. <laughs> but they they are huge, passionately fans. Uh, the atmosphere is brilliant, um, and everyone's just sort of in their own bubble up there, and it's it's a nice place to live. Uh, and you know, as I said, I, I wish my time would have didn't get injured and uh, would have carried on how I started because uh, it was it was really good. But I, I wish them all the best. Um, obviously, you're you're at Walking now. You had a little bit of time at Warsaw at the end of last season as well on loan, I think. Um, but moving forward, once obviously all this finishes and we get back to being able to get out of our houses, what are the hopes for the future? Uh, for me, I, I would just want to get back to playing. Um, obviously, I've missed a little bit, so I'm really eager to to carry on playing and. And I'm at Woking at the minute and, you know, it's been great. You know, it's local to me. Uh, I grew up near as well. So it's got something for me there with the, with the community and the managers. Uh, fantastic. And Dalton, he's, he's, he's great. And you've got Martin Tyler as the assistant um, as well. So I couldn't believe as well when he called me about that. I, I couldn't believe it. But yeah, so he, he's the assistant as well. So I want to continue to play. Um, and it's given me the opportunity this year to, to do some punditry work, some radio, some you know, some TVs, all sorts of different bits and pieces, which I didn't really know whether I'd enjoy it, and I've I've sort of jumped into it, and I I really enjoy it, so I would like to continue to do stuff like that as well. Perfect, Matt. Thank you very much, mate. That was awesome. Thank you. Pleasure.